0: Hello, and welcome to Nakubo and Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the higher education business office. I'm Liz Clark, Vice President for Policy and Research at Nakubo. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Jim Hundreiser, Who's vice president for consulting and business development at Nakubo and Lori Bernatsky, who's executive vice president at Westchester University of Pennsylvania. Lori, Jim,
1: welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, Liz. Thanks for having us.
0: I am really looking forward to this conversation. Today, we're going to be continuing a discussion about Nakubo's recent work on the top five issues or business issues facing higher education. Today, we'll be focused on resource constraints, which is one of the issues we highlighted in that September 22nd work, and uh, the second in our series of podcasts on this top five Business of Higher Education Issues series. I'd like to get started with Lori. Lori, I understand you have a background in academic affairs. Can you begin by telling us a little bit about your journey from academic affairs to finance and administration? Sure.
2: Yeah. So I have been in academic affairs for the last 26 years, started as faculty and then uh, you know, went to the dark side of administration. But in the last eight years, I've actually also served as, as executive vice president. And so what that means is the entire university budget reports through me to the president. So it's really given me an opportunity to learn sort of both sides of the house, the budget and finance side, and then obviously um, continue my work on the academic affairs side of the house. So I think it's, 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 it's an interesting perspective, understanding both how the economic engine instruction, right, of the university runs, and then on the other side, all the expenditures it takes to support the institution.
0: I think it's really exciting and somewhat unique. Over the years, we've done a lot of programs about this the partnership that should be built between the chief academic officer and the chief business officer. So uh, seeing someone with your background and in a role like yours, I think, goes right to the heart of many of the issues we've tried to address in that programming. Uh, Let's get started on our conversation. Uh, College and university fiscal officers have always been mindful of revenues and budget limitations. But in our research last year, our members were very concerned about resource limitations. As we begin 2023, what is characteristically different this year about the funding constraints presently facing colleges and universities? Um, Lori, what resource-related concerns are keeping you up at night at Westchester University?
2: You know, Liz, I think there's, there's been this sort of paradigm shift, um, really from, and I know the pandemic, we, you know, people don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore, but the the fact is there really has just been a a paradigm shift in the way we now have to do our, um, budgets. Student expectations have changed. They just, they have. And the pandemic was a huge part of that. And what that means is those expectations, because they change so rapidly, they're not as clearly aligned with our institutional investments as they used to be, right? And so um, we understand things take a, a lot of time to change in higher ed. We are large, complex organizations. And so when you add shrinking enrollments on top of a change in student expectations, obviously it's, you know, it's, it's problematic the other piece for me is, of course, when we think about the economy, the ongoing impact of the economy. Employment opportunities are, quite frankly, keeping students out of college right now, especially grad students, but even on the undergrad side, it's, it's a buyer's market for job seekers. So, it's, you know, folks delaying um, either entering college or getting back into a graduate program. So, on top of all the traditional budget constraints we always have, I really think in the last year or two, those those elements of the after effects of expectations from the pandemic and the economy right now um, with all of the opportunity for 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 job seekers those things keep me up at night
0: it 's a really multi layered challenge and uh, I, I part of what you just said reminded me about how consumers are looking for customization in so many different ways that it, it'll look at how Chipotle emerged and how all of the new fast casual restaurants are ultra customized for their customers, and even higher ed is facing those expectations. Jim, as you work in Nakubo Consulting with institutions of all shapes and sizes, whether they're public or private, small or large, what are some of the other concerns that you're seeing?
1: One of the big concerns we're seeing is on the revenue side, in that we are much more restricted on how much revenues we can continue to add on to the overall student cost, and this is becoming more complicated uh, as we move forward. In that, I'm hearing many institutions, as an example, thinking about a three to five percent tuition increase for the next fiscal year, and yet they're getting pushback from almost all entities saying, "Wait a minute, three to five percent on ten thousand dollars is, let's just say, three hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars. Well, that's an appreciable amount versus ten years ago, three to four percent." Would have been maybe $73 or, or, or you know, $68. Um, and then, you know, Laurie talked about the economic issues. And of course, with inflation and the cost of goods and services going up, insurance going up, healthcare going up, all the things that have increased, where are those dollars going to come from? And yet at the heart of it, we know that if we cannot keep college affordable, it will not be accessible to so many students. And so there's this rub there of trying to figure that out. And for the privates in particular, they are struggling to figure out what is the right price point. And certainly we've seen quite a bit of that in the media around uh, our our own work uh, with the discount study and trying to figure out how to grow net revenue at a time when we know fewer and fewer families can afford the true cost of higher education
0: yeah I'm gonna scratch a little bit more at uh, some of the issues you raised there. Do you think with college tuition that it's the last stop for students and families where they just put their feet down and say no? Uh, you know they face inflation when it comes to household goods, when it comes to vehicles, uh, a three to five percent increase. Is not on par with where we've seen inflation uh, post pandemic, but what's different about college tuition?
1: I think that there's we're hitting a tipping point in the American culture about what is a reasonable cause to pay for uh, what we all know is a public, at the most broad sense, good, and yet uh, the pushback has been how you know the perception that we can do this for cheaper, that we are all overpaid, that we are all, uh, we're all not working hard enough, that we're all not outcomes-oriented enough, whatever, fill in the blank. And the you know the media is constantly reinforcing a message that says, you don't need a college degree. And yet we know that that's not true. When well, we know, look at the job demand and the job skills that students need we know that they get that through some form of college education, whether that be a degree or a certificate.
2: Yeah, no. And in fact, it's funny. I think it's another um, unintended consequence, quite frankly, of the emergency um, funding that was provided direct to students during the pandemic, right? You've got groups now of sophomores and juniors for themselves and their families who are used to getting a, a pretty significant chunk of change to offset their degrees, and so think about what that experience was for those students. There's an expectation that the institution should just continue to offset those costs, let alone raise uh, tuition. So, I, yeah, I think it's 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 a a complex problem that has these unintended um, consequences, making it worse.
0: Jim and Lori, you both. Brought up the pandemic in one way or the other. Uh, are institutions "quote unquote" back to normal now following the pandemic? If they recovered from their pandemic-related losses, or or what other pressures have emerged? Laura, you just mentioned one, uh, uh, but what what other challenges are out there?
2: I don't think there is such a thing as back to normal. I I don't think there ever will be again. And you alluded to some of this earlier, Liz, right? Students' expectations have changed. They've changed around housing. They've changed around programming options. They've changed around on-campus versus off-campus experiences. So, there, there I, I, it's a hackneyed phrase, but there is a new normal. And it doesn't look very much like the old normal um, from where I sit. And, and the problem of the challenge, I guess, is as institutions, you know, we we do multi-year strategic plans and multi-year budgets. Well, when the the main group that you serve has very different expectations in a very, very short amount of time, it's just there is no such thing as back to normal. So even if schools are starting to recover from financial losses, the amount of institutional change that it's going to take to stay relevant and continue to serve students and meet demand, um, it, it, it's, it's not going away.
1: And I'd add to that the additional support costs, uh, the mental health. I mean, it's, it's been documented so many times, but I am shocked by how many CFOs have said to me, we have added full-time staff and full-time online resources or vehicles for students to get connected, whether that be tutoring or counseling or any number of things, all at a premium cost right now, and no new revenue stream to support that. But feeling that anxiety, depression, other pressures students are presenting with uh, in ways they need to feel safe, they need to be cared for, shepherd, and, uh, shepherded in ways that, that I think are really unprecedented, and yet we are not even remotely close to in local parentis. It's just kind of this new normal that has emerged. This is your duty to provide these pieces. And uh, local municipalities also pushing back as well to say, we're we're maxed out as well. So institution A, you need to provide that for your students. You can't rely on us to do it, adding yet an additional cost uh, as well.
0: Take away from that, there's no such thing as back to normal. We're back to nimble. Uh flexible mm, and we yeah, have that's... to be ready to stretch and twist and change. And uh, I'm trying to work this in, it doesn't quite work, but there's something about back to nurturing. Uh there's something about nurturing that needs to happen here as well. Uh it it, it sounds like what we're hearing from the field is that we're facing a remarkably different stakeholder uh, expectation uh, on campus these days. We, We talked a little bit about tuition. And, you know, in general, whether schools are public or private, they rely on tuition, typically as their largest source of revenue. And you talked about how there are concerns about pricing out students and their families. Let me twist this question a little bit differently, is what's happening with tuition changing how students are making their choices about um, not only whether they go to college, but what type of college they might consider? There are students that may have looked at private schools alone in the past that, that may be looking at different opportunities. What What's happening when you see student behavior when it comes to enrollment vis-a-vis tuition pricing? I
2: think students are students, and their um, families are um, becoming uh, much more savvy about comparison shopping. And I really will—I will call it comparison shopping. Um, you know, I think there's—it was a—it was a, a very important move in higher ed to have a more transparent, true cost of attendance model. You'll see that on a lot of university websites, et cetera, and so. Enrollment offices send packages to students now that really um, um, highlight institutional aid and and those pieces that, and a lot of it is merit-based, that's very attractive to students and their families. And so I think that that mentality um, has changed student behavior in the sense that A lot of students wait now until sort of that May 1st date to to make it clear what their fall enrollment choice is going to be. Schools compete with each other in ways that they have not had to do before with sort of making a better offer, et cetera. So all of that continues to be part of the equation. um, And and I don't don't see that behavior um, changing anytime soon.
1: And what's even perplexing the puzzle around enrollment more is the number of applications students are completing and filling out. So uh, e- even if you have to pay a fee and many applications have become free, and uh, which uh, helps increase the number of apps, but the stretch school certainly if we look at the last three years, more students have been encouraged to apply to their stretch institutions and see what that financial aid package is. And then apply to their safeties, right? Which is an old kind of coin term. You're, your reach school and then that. But the complexity then of trying to provide your best offer early is to be able to stick with it. You know, where I've been hearing more about an appeals process again, which complicates what is your real cost to go. The dollars that are needed to do that are. Are pushing heavily on, particularly you know, and you're right, Liz. Almost every institution's tuition, is their largest source provider, and their largest everything. I mean, it, it is it is all of that. So complicating this more is that that interest or that that of students and families encouraging that. And then the other thing that's happening is the big just keep getting bigger. And so there does seem to be some price inelasticity of some of the flagships of some of the largest, well-known, well-named institutions who have put forward larger tuition increases, who we who we know candidly from the CFOs are saying, we haven't raised our discount rate, we haven't done this because we have such a application volume coming in. And yet They've also increased the size of their freshman class. So it is then putting tuition pressure onto the other 3,700-ish institutions to make this happen, which is making it even more complex and making the tuition dependent, which are almost all, even more stressed out.
0: Last year in Nakubo's tuition discounting study, for the first time, we took a look at tuition discounting by level of competitiveness, uh, or I think we looked at admission rates for the institutions. And we clearly saw, Jim, exactly what you're saying, that um, the highly competitive institutions do not need to go as high with their tuition discounting rates as the less competitive institutions. Uh, and, that, and that has a macro implication as well. Uh, for institutions, not just for the students and families uh, seeing their uh, net tuition prices. For
1: yeah, short. Sure.
0: Jim, Lori, we talked mostly about tuition here, but those resource constraints are coming in other ways from state funding formulas or changes in charitable support, uh, business, the business model uh, as it needs to change. Is there an easy button out there? Is there something schools could easily do that maybe they're not doing that could alleviate some of the challenges they're facing?
2: Well, I don't think there's an easy button, you know. As such, right? There's obviously um, real challenges here, but there is what I might call like a not as hard as you think button, um, and that would really have to do with uh, taking a different look at the resources you already have. And what I'm what I'm getting at here is for 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 many institutions, you know, we've come through I mean decades of experiencing growth and the ability to expand, and under those conditions your academic program array grows and all of the things you offer, all of that grows across the country, but certainly, you know, in specific pockets, clearly we are now in the place of facing um, declines, right? Declines, what we expected, and then in some cases even higher than what we expected due to the things we just talked about. So the not as hard as you think button that I would talk about would be looking at the the, um, the resources that an institution already devotes to maintaining its academic program array. And that just means all the programs that you offer. And when you kind of take a step back and look at it, one of the things that, that you find is that schools that have declined significantly tend to still offer just as many academic programs in terms of variety than, than, um, than they do at a smaller size, right? That's, uh, that's a challenge. Why? Because if you start thinking about, you know, we always talk about a student faculty ratio, right? That's the number of students for every one faculty member that you have, right? So let's pretend your ratio is 20 students for every one fact, and that's a pretty high ratio actually. What does that mean? Well, when you think about the enrollment declines that we face, right? They're typically not just five or 10 students, but it's a 100 or 200 or whatever, right? So these declines happen, they happen year over year pretty quickly. Are we really reducing our faculty complement in line with that? Are we reducing the number of programs we offer in line with that? Most cases not. And so what you have is on the one side a revenue decline for all the students you're losing. At the same time, if you don't streamline your array, you don't streamline your faculty, not only are you losing millions on the revenue side, you're paying extra money for instruction that you didn't have to pay the year before when you had those additional students, so that ability to think about, well, wait a minute, have we ta- have, have we looked at this? Can we streamline? Can we have this major with fewer concentrations, or can we have these courses embedded as a concentration rather than as a freestanding major? Those are things that um, initially are difficult conversations, but the work around it really isn't as hard as some of the other types of things that universities might have to do. So even just something as, quote, simple as um, streamlining a program array can really provide reallocated resources, not just whether it's the Division of Academic Affairs, but, you know, across the institution. And the same thing would apply even on, you know, the staff side of the house. What is the student-staff ratio? You know, if you have a couple hundred or a thousand fewer students than you did five years ago. Taking a look at that is is worth doing. And uh, most institutions run on sort of an incremental budgeting process where you kind of have what you have and you kind of add new things here and there. So it's, it's not, easy as such, but it's certainly easier than finding a brand new revenue stream, which is to take a look at the revenue you already have and is it distributed in the way that it should be given your enrollment size. So really aligning operations with enrollment, I would say, is is a step that, that would be important to look at.
0: Yeah, it's not just the inputs, it's also the outputs that we can look around for new revenue and we can look around for that lottery ticket. But but uh, at the same time, we really have to to take a look at all those uh, costs that you're trying to cover. Uh, Jim, any other thoughts on that question?
1: Yeah, I think there are opportunities for new models. I think it's um, that willingness to, to act and the willingness to think distinctively about your institution, what truly is distinctive, where do you lean into some of those distinctions? And by doing that, you are also... Doing as Laurie mentioned, reduce or stopping or eliminating other things uh, to stay focused on a uh, stronger outcome.
0: Lori, I'm I'm just going to go back to what you said uh, a couple minutes ago. That there's no easy button. There's, but there may be. It's and it's not as hard as you think button. I love that. And I'm going to use that. I have gone straight to uh, sometimes you just have to hold your gut, but your middle ground is much more appealing. <laughs> 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 um, are there any points of light out there? Any particularly innovative stories that you have, Lori, to illustrate from Pennsylvania or Jim from your work uh, across the country? Uh, any any stories that that you see are inspiring or novel? Yeah, Liz,
2: I'll say, you know, so actually it's kind of a parallel to what I just said about a, a university taking a look at its own resources and aligning, aligning those um, in a streamlined way. I'm part of the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education, and our Board of Governors just this past summer adopted a new funding formula, which is used to distribute the appropriation that we get um, from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And what I think is really great about it, innovative about it, is it changed from funding institutions to funding students. And what I mean by that is the funding still goes to the university, but it's really now very clearly based on student success metrics. It's based on making sure there's um, funding targeted for students with greater financial need, funding targeted for students from traditionally underrepresented groups. So it's a, it's a formula that really takes into account certainly a core a core component of of university funding, but is very targeted around student success and and serving students in a in a mission based way that we should do as a state system and that what's what's great about that is that's a politically of course much more appealing way to think about the appropriation than just well we're going to give these funds to, to x university uh the, making sure that it's linked to the students we serve i think is is a pretty innovative way to recast the purpose of state funding for public institutions
0: That is um, really interesting. I think perhaps a new challenge, though, in terms of resource allocation and and longer-term planning for business officers at the state institutions. So uh, that will be interesting to follow and see how it plays out over time. Jim, any stories to share?
1: I think we're seeing more institutions move to an all-funds budgeting model and process. And I think that all-funds concept is helping many players see a different, have a different lens into how the budget comes together, how funds are allocated, how they're spent. And I do think that is bringing a more transparent way of, of providing institutions with a new lens towards how do they navigate these resource constraints and how do they figure out new ways in which to consider where to prioritize and how to prioritize would be one thing I'd add.
0: Uh, Jim, Lori, we're coming to the end of our time here, but is there anything else you'd like to add or wanted to mention as we end the show here today?
1: Despite the topic, I think it is still a higher, an exciting time in higher education. I think we're learning so much about learning, and I think there are streamlined and advances that are being made that are helping advance our students. And of course, we're so excited that people are talking much more about student success and completion as a part of all the things that they're considering. So uh, despite some of the challenges, there are lots of good things happening as well.
2: Yeah, you know, I would I, I think Jim's exactly right, Liz. And the thing that, that I'll say that I think that is a welcome change for me, I think in the past our, our focus. And I'm saying this now really wearing my academic affairs hat that as institutions, we've we've always thought about, OK, you know, are, are these students ready for our institute? Are they ready for college? And what this has allowed us to do is change that question. And what we say now is this, are we ready for these students, right? It is our responsibility. And this gets back to what Jim even said in terms of some of the nurturing and additional things we need to do. Are we student ready? That is an important question. And the shift in that thinking, even though these are painful ways to learn that lesson, I think that is a really important lesson for us to learn in higher ed.
0: We couldn't have ended on a better note, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jim, thanks for joining the conversation. And uh, thank you, listeners. You can find Nakubo and Brief wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find resources and other show notes on nakubo.org on the webpage for this podcast. Thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Liz. Thank you.